Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive of rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Nutrition Awareness Podcast, co-hosted by yours truly, Kate Richardson and Megan Pachekai. We're two registered dietitians here to make your life easier by debunking diet myths, sharing scientific information about nutrition, and keeping you motivated to reach your goals. We want to teach you everything we know by giving you real-life examples of how we've helped our combined thousands of clients transform their lives, lose weight, and get healthy without having to go on another cookie-cutter diet. On this podcast, we'll be giving you our best advice, strategies, and mindset shifts so you too can reach your goals using food and most importantly, enjoy the process. We're talking about some sensitive topics today, I would say body image, perfectionism, the taboo around weight loss culture that's coming up. And I have a special guest today. Her name is Dr. Samantha Ray. She is a licensed psychologist, and she's also one of my clients. And we have uh, her story to share, and we are going to make sure that as we go through her story, you guys who also maybe battle with some perfectionism or body images or a history of disordered eating and you're not really sure where to go with food and diet these days, that you learn some tips, some tricks that are inspired from Dr. Samantha Ray's journey. So I know you as Sam. (laughs) Sam, will you introduce yourself and just tell listeners who you are, what you do, and what brought you in to see a dietitian? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So as Kate said, I'm a licensed psychologist. Um, I live in Orlando, Florida, but I practice online. So my practice serves clients in like 39 different states. Um, I do individual therapy mostly. And um, the majority of my clients are professionals that struggle with stress, burnout, um, anxiety. Um, They basically worry, obsess, and doubt themselves a lot. So I like to help them learn how to effectively manage stress and anxiety so they can live a rich and meaningful life. So I have to ask, what made you decide to work with those specific types of people? Because as a dietitian, I became a dietitian because I struggled with food and nutrition in my weight. (laughs) Was that the case for you? Absolutely. Um, And I have worked in eating disorders in the past. I'll probably talk about that a little bit today. So for sure, my own journey has influenced the kind of clients that I work with. Um, And being a professional, an early career professional, I did deal with a lot of stress and anxiety around my career um, and a period of burnout. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's just something that's made me really passionate about working with ambitious folks who have high standards, you know, maybe they're perfectionists. And um, these are the things they tend to struggle with. So when you so you came from that angle, and you like to help people who struggle with perfectionism, you know, I know where you struggle with perfectionism. 
can you tell people about that with you yeah. know your body image and, and food and kind of where you started over a year ago? Yeah, so I have always been someone who's pretty self-motivated, I would say. Yeah. And I do have high standards for myself. Um, in my younger years, I would have said I'm a perfectionist, kind of like a badge of honor. Like, yeah, I'm a perfectionist. But over the years, I started to realize how being a perfectionist um, contributed to my stress and anxiety levels. Um, it was kind of a way, actually, to deal with anxiety, um, to try not to make mistakes, to do everything the right way. Um, And when you're a perfectionist, you tend to have a lot of rigid rules for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, You see the world kind of black and white. Um, You fall into all or nothing thinking. So, you know, Kate, these are some of the things I was struggling the most with um, when I started with you about a year ago. Um, And body image has always been kind of a part of that for me. Um, You know, caring about my health, caring about my appearance was sort of a natural extension of my high standards and wanting to do everything right. Um, So I think kind of unraveling or making sense of like, what are my actual values here? Like, what is it that I really care about? Um, And let me get to the heart of that uh, through this journey so that I can connect with that and I don't know, live a better life, a happier life Um, versus getting caught up in these like rigid rules that I have for myself about how I have to eat or what I can't eat or how much I have to move based on what I've eaten or those kind of things. Would you say that creating rules around food or how your body should look gave you a sense of safety or security? Almost like, okay, if I follow these rules, then I will look a certain way and then I will be confident or accepted or loved or, you know, whatever that is. Is that accurate for you? Absolutely. I mean, rules exist for a reason, right? Like rules are here, I think, in society to keep us safe, to keep things running smoothly. But sometimes when we're too rigid with the rules that we're applying, um, then it can kind of backfire and, you know, really take a toll on our mental health. So for me, yeah, I think the rules were about trying to control the outcome, the way people perceive me, um, you know, Certainly a lot of body image has to do with appearance, but um, also just the way that my body felt. So in there, I think, was a desire to truly be healthy. I just think defining what that meant was a little bit of a process, and that's been part of my journey with you. Ooh, yeah, it's a process, and it's ever-evolving, which I'm sure we'll talk about. When you said that creating rules was giving you a sense of control, that really resonated with me, because when I think about my disordered eating and where I came from, controlling what I ate gave me a sense of power and again of course control over my fate because I thought if I ate a certain way I would look a certain way and then people would like me boys would like me I'd have friends I'd be popular I'd be accepted I know where that came from for me do you know where your perfectionism stemmed from if you don't mind me asking yeah um I mean, some of the building blocks is definitely growing up in a home with a perfectionist. Um, So I think a lot of us learn it um, from other perfectionists in our life. Um, You know, I was probably a preteen teenager, like coming up in the the 90s and early 2000s. So I think about what um, celebrities looked like at that time. I think about the stores that we would shop in, like um, the way that clothes kind of looked and, and being skinny was kind of like the thing, right? The thing to desire or the ideal. So that had a big impact. My body was never that. Like, that's just not how it was going to be shaped, whether I was, you know, at a healthy weight or not. Um, So I think that's definitely kind of where some of the building blocks were for me. Was there ever a time in your life where you felt like you outgrew your disordered eating? 
and started creating other rules around food or other rituals or did that ever really go away for you? Yeah, so early on, I think like teenage years, it was um, a little more like restriction, you know, a little more like, of course, the fads at the time were low fat diets, things like that. And um, then over time, like probably starting in my undergraduate years, I got into studying psychology. Um, Eating disorders were always interesting to me, obviously. Didn't really think my eating was disordered at the time because it was so normal. But um, the more that I learned about those kind of things and then even working in the field, I did see restriction as unhealthy. Um, So I... Um, I guess my behaviors kind of shifted a little bit and it was more towards probably now what we would call orthorexia. So just trying to eat really clean, um, you know, focusing on the ingredients in food. And so maybe not focusing on calories or, you know, numbers, macros, things like that, but finding different things to kind of obsess over. I think that's great that you brought up orthorexia. Our trajectory is very similar, where we started off in like this disordered eating restriction pattern. And when you're a teenager, you just don't really have the, I mean, at least when I was growing up, I didn't have the mental capacity to understand what I was doing was harmful. I just thought it was like the thing I needed to do to be thin and then Mm -hmm. therefore be accepted. And then as you figure out that that's not healthy, orthorexia or clean eating and an obsession Mm -hmm. with eating like good stuff, good food Mm -hmm. and avoiding bad food, again, is like you said, almost like wearing a badge of honor. Like, look at me, I'm the clean eater. I would order the salad over the (laughs) chicken fingers or whatever it is. Uh, And so then it just becomes part of your identity and an obsession. Yeah. My obsession, I couldn't keep it up forever. Like, it's just not sustainable to be orthorexic unless you start to transition into more of a a full-blown eating disorder like anorexia, which is is not healthy. And thankfully, Mm -hmm. my body kept me from doing that. So then after, you know, you went through orthorexia, what was your journey like up until you came and saw a dietitian? So for a while, um, that period of, you know, clean eating, um, there were a couple of things that I think were good to come out of that. Obviously the overall like obsession over food and still kind of the restricted mindset, not so good. Um, But I did feel a little bit more energetic around some of the foods I was eating. Mm -hmm. So I think there were like little pieces in there I wanna acknowledge that weren't all bad, but again, kind of the way the rigidity, the way that I was applying it was not a healthy mindset and not sustainable, like you said. I'm really glad you brought that up because there is, you you know, right now in culture diets are always demonized and some diets perhaps like you know i don't know i'm not even gonna name ones maybe have like shouldn't be promoted but we can always learn something through any experience so being orthorexic having an eating disorder even people that do keto or try a vegan diet on for size Mm -hmm. you can learn something about how foods impact your body it's just like the rigid rules that can make somebody spiral and i know for me with my perfectionism or i I identify more as like that all or nothing Mm -hmm. finger that when i had rules eventually the pendulum would swing the complete yes. opposite way. Yeah. So I could follow rigid rules until I couldn't. Yes. And then I never knew how to land in the middle. Yeah. I would just go to the zero side. Exactly. I had a series of really stressful life events um, after, you know, doing this clean eating thing for several years. So I actually thought, okay, this is, this is a lifestyle. I'm going to be like this for life. Like I thought it was sustainable at the time, you know, in retrospect, it was kind of, um, 
you know, restricting my social life. Like everything was kind of planned around food. So it was not going to be sustainable, but it was for a bit. And then when life happened and I had, um, you know, left a really difficult job, I was really, really burned out. Um, So I was totally confused on my career and my direction. Um, I had a couple of losses really close to me and family. Um, I was very stressed out and I just wasn't doing well. And my eating kind of changed during that time. So again, that pendulum swung and I think it was even exaggerated by the the stressful life events. So I went from being really intentional and um, too restrictive um, on my clean eating to just kind of, <laughs> I don't know, the wheels flew off and it was like anything goes. Um, yeah, it's like orthorexia and clean eating and dieting worked when you were in a routine and stable, but then as soon as life happened, which life always happens, yes, yeah, things kind of spiraled. Absolutely. And it was exactly what you said about that all or nothing thinking at that time. Um, that's how I had always looked at like diet and exercise. I don't even think I realized until we worked started working together about a year ago, like how rigid that was that you know, my perfectionism was always shooting for 100%. You know, people had told me around me, I'm sure they didn't mean for this to happen, but they had kind of reinforced it by saying, you have such strong willpower because they would see these periods of time where I was like on it, right? I was, you know, P90X, whatever it is, working (laughs) out every day, like doing the things. Um, And I would even feel, I think, a lot of shame. Um, And this is the thing with perfectionism. Um, Another way to think of it is like a fear of failure, Mm. right? And so when that kind of thing happened, when I lost sight of my clean eating, when I kind of stopped exercising, and when I did gain a lot of weight and felt really unfamiliar and uncomfortable in my body, it was just like, oh, no, it's confirmed. Like, I failed. Mm -hmm. And that was how I was really feeling when I came to see you. I think that was kind of like the bottom and the impetus to, to talk to somebody. Yeah, when you feel like a failure, that's, for some people, that can be very motivating. I'll acknowledge that. I notice that a lot of people are very motivated by, like, rock bottom. Mm -hmm. For me, I'm not motivated by failure. (laughs) When I feel like a failure, then I might turn into, turn to unhealthy coping mechanisms if I'm not totally aware, which could be food or drinking or whatever it would be. Nothing that is life altering, but it's just not Mm -hmm. in alignment with my values like you mentioned earlier. One of the things that will always stick out to me when you first came in is how you you seemed confused about which direction to take. Like you came in and you were like, okay, you were like almost dancing around the Mm -hmm. language. Mm -hmm. Like you're like, I want to be better. You know, I want to feel better in my skin. I want to wear the old clothes I used to wear, but also I feel guilty for wanting to do that. And I hadn't heard somebody say it like that before, but I was like, yes. Okay. Thanks for admitting that because anyone on food or nutrition or diet, social media is seeing the narrative right now that, Weight loss is bad. Um, fat phobia is a thing. If you're, you know, you're fat phobic, if you try to lose weight, mm-hmm. that's a, a common thing that is being spread and mm-hmm. to each their own opinion. I don't believe that. You know, I don't think someone's fat phobic for wanting to change their own body. Mm-hmm. So you were in this place of like, okay, I want to lose weight. And also I feel guilty about it. And also I've struggled with an eating disorder and I don't want to go there again. Yeah. So you had all these different routes that you had been down before and none of them got you to the place you wanted to be. So our job was to figure out and accept that it's okay for you to want to change your body because it's your body and we need to do it in a way that's going to add to your life, make it better, not restrict you and not make you, you know, stumble back down the path of disordered eating. And you had told me that it took a while for you to come in and see a dietitian. It did. 
Um, yeah, it was again, kind of, I don't know, being a perfectionist, being a high achiever, whatever. I was just kind of used to like, well, if I'm smart, if I have access to information, like I can read a peer reviewed journal, like I can figure this out myself. Um, so I never really thought of seeing a dietitian, and I, it's kind of like a little bit funny in retrospect that I thought I could read online and just figure this out myself. I, I mean, it's definitely a peeve of mine when people say that with mental health, like, oh, I went on TikTok and I learned this thing. And I'm like, that is not the same as the years of, you know, training experience I've done. Um, I mean, definitely people talking about their lived experience is so real, but, um, you know, to, to think that I could just like do the same thing that a professional could help me do. Um, and even to like have the support. So I think there's just a misconception about like working with a dietitian, you either have to have like a medical problem or maybe a severe eating disorder, or just really feel completely lost and not know anything about nutrition. And I mean, those are all reasons that you could work with a dietitian. But also, I think if you've been a yo-yo dieter or an all-or-nothing thinker for years and it's an area of struggle, then then that's totally a legitimate reason as well. Um, so I'm glad I made that choice, needless to say. I can say that when I went to therapy, I kind of had this idea of like, I don't really need a therapist because the thing I'm struggling with isn't that bad. Yes. Like for me, when I went to therapy, it was like three-ish, four, three and a half years ago, just kind of repeating some cycles in interpersonal relationships. And I was like, I can figure this out. Mm -hmm. But when you have a conversation with someone who gets to know you, who also doesn't have like stake in the game, I can't really think of a better expression, but she's not in my day-to-day life. She can ask me questions that maybe my friends and family never thought to ask or don't feel courageous enough to ask. And then you can have a conversation about it. And that's when new realizations are made. So yeah, I can go on TikTok and I can read all of these books by therapists, but nothing is going to help me take action and have support like working with the therapist. So same thing with a dietitian. We can read a textbook about nutrition and we can even go out there and do a few things. But if you notice that there is a cycle you are repeating, even if you know all the facts and you're still repeating a cycle, there's no shame in seeking out support. And for a perfectionist, that can almost feel like you said a failure. Mm-hmm. I 100% agree. I think for working with a dietitian, a therapist, probably other kinds of professionals, um, that is the biggest thing. Like the whole, do you keep repeating a pattern or a cycle? Do you feel stuck? You know, in that there's absolutely no shame in getting help and support to break that. And for me, I think it was absolutely vital because this is the first time I feel like I've really started to make changes that I have like full faith are going to be. I've seen you transform. Yeah. Like my perspective and why I wanted you to come on, not only because you're a professional who talks about perfectionism, but I've witnessed your transformation physically, mentally. And one of the fun parts has been because you're so interested in self-reflecting and thinking about your patterns is how you've identified your struggles and your values and utilized your values Mm -hmm. to take the right action over and over again that's gotten you a result. Yeah. So when you mentioned the beginning, you had to identify some of your values. What are some of the values that you, at this time, knowing that they can change, but what are some of your core values that you found motivated you to take consistent action? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, one thing I'll say, and I always tell my clients this, that um, 
rigid rules are usually kind of an indicator there's a value here Ooh. right but values aren't rigid they're flexible ah. so it's you can use them as sort of a guidepost but they're not there to shame you if you're not doing something right because it's not about right and wrong like a rule is so a value is just like a suggestion and you know sometimes we even have values conflicts and we have to just pick which one is right for us in that moment so that's why i love values um and so i do think all along that a lot of the really difficult thoughts and feelings that I was dealing with throughout my life when it came to body image and diet, but also in like my journey and working with you, I think that they were pointed to some underlying values, but really all I could see at the surface was of course, like appearance and body image. And like, that was like the most obvious thing that grieved me. Um, but the values were that I, I want to engage in self-care, right? I want to, um, be mindful when it comes to my health. And I want to be intentional about my health. Um, I want to have fun with it too. Like I have realized that I'm actually a pretty active person and I would not have said that before. Like exercise was something that was really just kind of punishing or like, a, oh, I have to do this because I ate X, Y, Z. Um, so to say that I want to have fun with my health is also kind of interesting. So it's just interesting to realize that there are actual values that were underneath um, that were not really being expressed, not really being lived when I was in that really disordered place or in stuck in the all or nothing thinking or kind of the rigid perfectionism. I'm really, I, I, I wrote down so many notes while you're talking. You just said so much gold. Okay. First of all, values are not rigid. Rules are rigid. There's a right and there's a wrong. There's a good and a bad. You know, if you eat carbs on a low carb diet, it's good. If you don't, it's bad if you do. So there's not room for flexibility there. Versus if you look at your values, you value being active. Okay, well then how do certain carbs play a role in living an active lifestyle? I think it's really interesting that you blended fun and activity together. That's a huge one for me. Fun, it, you're into the nanogram, right? <laughs> okay, right? I'm in a nanogram seven, so I'm really motivated by fun. So mm -hmm. if something's not fun, I'm not gonna do it. But I kept trying to make rules around diet because I was trying to achieve an outcome and that's what I thought you had to do. That for me didn't work out in the long run. So I think that's great. So it's finding your values. Yeah. When someone tells me they value health, I want to ask them, well, what does that mean to you? Like, let's yeah. get granular about what healthy means to you. And I think you kind of just did that. You wanted to engage in self-care. You wanted to live an active lifestyle that you enjoyed. And on our first session, when we were creating goals, I asked you to tell me what you want your life to look like in six months. What are you doing? What's different? How do you feel? And you told me you wanted to go paddleboard and you wanted to do all these outdoor sports that you were interested in, mm -hmm. but you didn't have the energy to do it. Yeah. And now you do that stuff all the time. Every time I talk to you, you're on some hiking trip mm -hmm. or doing something, you know, outdoorsy and fun. Yeah. So it was, okay, let's figure out the actions you want to take. And then the outcome mm -hmm. is that you feel great, you look great, you mm -hmm. make healthier choices, but it's because you were working towards something that was more flexible and not so rigid. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you are operating from perfectionism, and rigid rules, you're focused solely on the outcome. Mm -hmm. And when you're focused solely on the outcome, you're setting yourself up for failure, which is the thing you're wanting to avoid in the first place, because we don't have 100% control over the outcome. And I know early on in this process, you and I talked about that, frankly, like my number one goal was to increase energy because I just felt so depleted and I wanted to have energy for, for getting out and move my body and doing things. 
Um, and I hoped that weight loss would happen as a side effect yeah. as well. So we acknowledge that. But by not making that the primary focus, because that wasn't necessarily something 100% in my control, instead just focusing on the behaviors that were in line with my values, I started to feel really good and really different about myself early on. Yeah. So it wasn't like this process was about, I want to lose a certain amount of weight and maybe then I'll feel good because that's the whole like kind of mm-hmm. lie of disordered eating and dieting. But it was like kind of getting to the root of what really mattered to me and realizing how out of alignment I was with those values. Yeah. And by starting to act on those things, I started feeling really good. I remember like even within the first month, nothing had changed on the scale or like, you know, I didn't look any different. Um, but I felt so different. You mentioned earlier values going back to that piece and then saying like, okay, if I live by my values and I create action steps and I go out and do things, you trusted that your body would respond the way you wanted to. Like you just trusted the process, but your focus was more on, okay, well, how do you feel? What are you doing? What choices are you making? How do you feel around food? How do you feel about in your body? I also think it's okay to acknowledge that sometimes people value appearance yes. and they have, yeah. they value that. Yeah. Uh, there's no shame in that. Some people, no. you know what I mean? We all have different ideas of, you know, how we want to look and how we yeah. want to show up in the world. Absolutely. You know, we don't shame women for wearing makeup or spending money for getting their hair done. So we shouldn't shame somebody for also wanting to change their body. Now, there are certain things we can manipulate and certain things we can't. Mm -hmm. And having a conversation with somebody can help you maybe realize what's realistic. But having a conversation with someone who shuts down your, your idealization of losing weight or building muscle or doing something to change your appearance isn't helpful either because then that perpetuates the shame cycle. Yes. It's like, oh, am I bad for wanting to look or feel a certain way? It's just like you said, we have to change the path that we take to get to that. So if you're listening and you really value looking fit and healthy, and that is completely subjective, you get to decide what that is for you. And you want to get there, you have to focus on, well, what action steps do I take that are in alignment with my values, that are sustainable, that don't send me down a disordered eating path or unhealthy path to get to that point. And you can't control when that's going to happen or if you can even get to the ideal Mm -hmm. that you have in your mind, but you can control what you do and how you show up in the world. I totally agree. If I could go back to something we mentioned before and I kind of lost, but I think this is a good time to tie it back, is... um, with my like kind of growing up with the disordered eating patterns and then getting into the field of psychology and even working with people with eating disorders, um, I had such different experiences. I had, you know, grown up with the normalization of dieting. Then I had worked in a field where it was very anti-diet, right? And where, I mean, it makes sense when you're working with someone who's malnourished or like the worst case scenarios, they could die from this. Like, of course, you want to take the morality out of food. You want to present everything as good and equal. So having those like two disparate experiences, I was so confused and like just felt like stuck when I wasn't happy with my body. And that was when I came to see you. 
And I just really appreciated having this space that felt like a safe, a non-judgmental space um, where we could talk about my body image. And you really helped me find the permission to care about my appearance, right? <laughs> to care about what my body looked like without trying to fight with those thoughts and feelings, which I appreciate as a therapist because that's how I approach my work with yeah. clients. Like I'm not going to argue with how you feel or with what is coming up in your mind. Um, and by accepting that that's where I was and this is something I care about, um, that my appearance did matter to me, paradoxically, it became less heavy and less important. There's something about when you lighten up around a certain issue around food, when you lighten up about trying to change your body, it changes. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's mm-hmm. something that follows suit there. You had grown up in a house where dieting was okay, and then you went into a world where it was so not okay. So again, there's that all or nothing. Mm-hmm. You had lived in two different worlds. So we had to find your middle ground. Yeah. What do you think are some of the biggest changes or habits and action steps you took that made you feel more energized, that made you feel more healthy, more vibrant? That was yeah. your word of the year this year, yeah. vibrance. Yeah. What were some of the changes you made to your eating habits? Yeah, so focusing on a balanced plate, right? Like in terms of some complex carbs, protein, um, healthy fat and vegetable. Um, Again, I mean, I still have that tendency towards perfectionism. So I do like to have a little bit of a plan, a little bit of a structure to guide me without getting too rigid. So rather than focusing on numbers and things, which just I was afraid would be kind of triggering for me and go towards like kind of disordered, I was able to just look at my plate and say, do I have these different like areas represented? Um, And using a a particular app to help me track that was so helpful. Yeah, Um, we use the eight app for people listening. It's a really good way to track your food without getting zoned down and, you know, tied down by the numbers. Yeah, it's just visual. So I can snap a picture of my meal and kind of see like, what does the variety look like? And then you rate it as on or off track, which I kind of had to check back in with myself and make sure I wasn't being too all or nothing. But I define that for myself. So on track just meant like, am I, is this meal like helping to increase my energy? Cause yeah. that's my goal right now. Um, and important part of that, I wasn't shooting for a hundred percent, right? So like maybe 80 to 90%, depending on what your particular goals are. Um, so I, it was okay. There was a permission there to be quote unquote off track a certain percentage of the time. And that was new for me, honestly. I tell my perfectionist clients, let's be B students. Never in your <laughs> life have you wanted to be a B student. If you're a perfectionist, you will get an 89% and feel just absolutely tortured. But when it comes to food, we actually want to leave room for flexibility intentionally so that you can stay the long haul. So that if you, you know, eat a food that, like you said, doesn't make you feel energized. Uh, let's just say you went to Dairy Queen and you got a kitty blizzard. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's nothing really balanced or nutritionist about that, but it still does something for you. It adds to your life. It makes it fun. It's social. It tastes good. And let's just track it. It's fine. It's all, It's not going to make or break you. So if we're having a blizzard every single day, then we might not be making progress. If we have a kitty blizzard once a week, okay, we can still make progress with that. Yeah. And I nicknamed you the portion control queen because <laughs> as you started eating all these balanced meals and you were fueling yourself and you were giving yourself variety, you would post a picture of like an ice cream cone and write ate two thirds of this and threw it away. I was like, what? I mean, cause I don't do that. When I get an ice cream cone, I'm like, yeah. I mean, I might leave a few bites behind, but you could just leave mm-hmm. 
things behind. And that was new for you. Oh, totally new. Yeah. I'm a fast eater, which has not spoiler changed over the process, but <laughs> that's, that's a hard me. One. <laughs> um, I do everything fast, I've realized, so that makes sense. Um, but but a part of that is I would like hurry up and I would just eat everything that was on my plate um, and without being, again, mindful about it and sometimes eat like a little past full, right? A little to the point of discomfort. And so... Um, I think even though I didn't slow down the eating, just being a little bit more intentional about the way I was planning my plate, uh, I would notice um, through this process when I was feeling full. And we also did something else I think was really helpful um, on the app was I would rate like my hunger and my fullness level like on a scale of, what does it go to? One to 10. One to 10. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and I actually like Kate gave me like a printout of like the scale to look at in the beginning. I like looked at it every time, you know, to, to really get used to how do I recognize like hunger and fullness? Cause I was so, and I think a lot of people that, you know, diet um, for a long time, I was so disconnected from my hunger and fullness cues. So that was also really, really helpful. And yeah, my husband laughs at me cause I leave like a couple bites behind all the time and he thinks I just do it. I don't know why, but it's, it's a flex. yeah, I just, I just don't need it. So for that's people, different. I want to tell people about the hunger scale. If you're listening, it is adapted from intuitive eating, which is a whole practice of eating. And I won't get into it today. I like intuitive eating. I don't think it's the answer for everyone as a whole. But one of the most valuable pieces of the intuitive eating practice is tuning into your hunger and fullness cues. So you can Google hunger scale. You'll see a few different varieties on Google and you can use whichever one you want. Um, But the goal is to be aware of that when you're hungry, it's time to eat. Because if you let yourself get too hungry, you're more likely to overeat foods that really aren't nutritious or balanced mm-hmm. versus, um, you know, if you eat when you feel like a three or four on the scale, mm-hmm. then you're able to stop before you feel too full. And that might mean leaving one eighth of the plate behind. When you're dieting, that's not acceptable because you're either, you know, putting in the macronutrients of your food and you feel like you have to hit a certain target mm-hmm. or you can't fall short of that. So you have to eat more Uh, when you're full or you might be really hungry and tell yourself you can't eat more and that never works out for the long haul. So really getting in tune with your hunger and fullness cues is great and that's why you're the portion control queen. That's why you can (laughs) be a fast eater and still leave half an ice cream cone behind. Mm -hmm. So that was great and you had even said that one of your values was being intentional with food and this app uh, helped you do that. Yeah, yeah. I thought I would only use it for a couple months, but I'm I'm still using it. It's fun. Um, it's, I just like it. <laughs> it's a so game. <laughs> it's helpful. Um, but there's another thing that I think um, behaviorally, or maybe it's also a little bit mindset, but um, is planning for the setbacks in life. And I remember having like my first vacation since I had been working with you, and we were thinking ahead to different scenarios. And um, this was like one of those like mind blown moments for me um, in our work together. You had asked me, okay, so how are you feeling about this vacation? Like, what are you, you know, what do you think it's going to look like? And I said, I think I'm going to have like a pretty high degree of control over my food options most of the time because we're staying in, um, you know, a a rental that had a kitchen. So we were going to get some groceries, make breakfast, things like that. So I was feeling really good at that point because, again, I'm kind of living my values. I'm able to make choices based on how I want to feel. But then there's like those situations where you have less control. And so you said, okay, what if everybody, you know, you you end up with the group out at this like, you know, seafood, fast food place, everything's greasy, right? And so you just have to have whatever, fried fish and french fries, then what? 
what do you do next? And I remember saying, like, I don't have a meltdown. Like, <laughs> because that was kind of where I was at with food. I mean, if, you know, again, take away the control. And I'm like, oh, no, it's not according to plan. Um, so you, of course, said no. Um, <laughs> you just, you know, you just, you continue on, right? The next meal, you just pick it right back up. And I don't know why that was so earth shattering for me. But maybe if you're a perfectionist listening, you can relate um, it was just, again, that permission of like, oh, yeah, it's not going to be 100%. That's okay. But but I do have control over the choice I make, like, the very next time. Exactly. Right? So that was where I think in the past, because life always happens, something throws me off, and I would just feel so bad. I would go down a shame spiral. It would be like, oh, I'm not, you know, in line with my goals. And then that's where you kind of give up. So that doesn't happen anymore. And I don't feel worried about it happening anymore. Because you live a healthy lifestyle. When you live a healthy lifestyle, when you live an 80-20 lifestyle, then you can have the fried fish sandwich (laughs) and margarita and it's no big deal. Mm -hmm. And pair that with you being able to tap into your hunger and fullness cues. You can eat the fish sandwich, french fries and margarita, and maybe you only have half and you're fine. Mm -hmm. Versus if you're in the all or nothing mindset, you either don't eat the fish sandwich, then go home and binge, or you eat all the fish sandwich and the the dessert and you have six margaritas and you feel like awful because Mm -hmm. you overconsumed. So for you, it was being able to go into those social situations where you had no control because those are always going to come up for people who have a life. And I mean that compassionately. There are people who prefer not to do anything and it's much easier for them to follow rigid rules. So it's just, that's just how it goes. But if you have a social life, if you have friends, if you have family, if you've got a job that has you travel, if you entertain clients, if you're catering lunches, if you're on the go, you have to relinquish some control sometimes and being able to roll with that and then pick up right off where you started at the next meal where you can control things, you have nothing to worry about. Mm -hmm. You're still going to make progress no matter what your ultimate goal is. It does not need to be perfect. And it's been a year and you've been doing this and it's paying off a lot. Yeah. It's paying off a lot. It is. Tell me about alcohol. Speaking of margaritas, yeah. <laughs> your journey with alcohol has, has changed. Interesting. Yeah, it has changed. Um, so, I mean, I'm a social drinker and um, I love, you know, going to breweries. I like beer. I like going to a winery, things like that, mostly with friends and such. And over the course of working with you, I think I've just, again, brought that value of intentionality to my drinking to notice like when I drink, why I drink, how I feel when I drink, how does it impact other things like my energy level. Um, And I've naturally, I think, decreased the amount or um, definitely the frequency um, that I drink. And so I'm doing like social activities and I'll have water or I'll have a mocktail or a non-alcoholic beer or something like that um, sometimes. And yeah, what I've noticed with you is you started off with taking a break from alcohol just to kind of teach yourself you don't need to drink in certain situations. Like you already knew that, but you just wanted to remind yourself that, hey, you can go to uh, paddle boarding with your husband Mm -hmm. and you can drink hop water instead Mm -hmm. of beer and it's no big deal. And then when you were in situations where you wanted to drink, this is what I was really impressed by. You stop and you think, well, how do I want to feel? Yeah. And we had just had this conversation at our last session. When you're here in Orlando, just kind of living life, doing your normal social things, 
you can think, okay, I don't want to feel tired tomorrow, so I'll have one or two drinks and then I'll switch to water or something else. Or maybe you won't drink at all. It just yeah. kind of depends on how you're feeling, which is really nice. Yeah. So you have control over that without being rigid. And then when you were on vacation, you were on a cruise with your husband, it was celebratory. You had scheduled a yoga class the next mm-hmm. morning, which was great, intentional. And then you ended up having a lot of fun and you had more drinks and mm-hmm. you didn't want to go to the yoga class mm-hmm. because you were having fun and you were a little buzzed. Yes. And that was really cool <laughs> because you could say, I'm living in the moment. I'm being present. I'm having fun with my husband. I can do a yoga class anytime. No big deal. You don't drink four fruity drinks every Mm -hmm. single weekend. That's Mm -hmm. not the norm for you. So you could just do that and move on and then not feel guilty about it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I love that. I think, again, the flexibility of how do I want to feel? And sometimes that means making a decision now Mm -hmm. in preparation for something tomorrow. Like, I'm going to go on a big hike, right? I probably don't want to have drank alcohol the night before. It's just going to drag me. But then sometimes that's like, how do I want to feel right now? I'm having fun. Like, I want to celebrate and I'm going to have another drink and that's okay. And you were in a fun setting. Like, it was vacation. And so you were already going to wake up a little bit more energized than Mm -hmm. normal. So Mm -hmm. you're able to look at the situation and evaluate it and make a decision. Now, if you're listening to this and you're like, well, I always live in the moment. You know, Mm -hmm. every weekend I live in the moment and I think about it. Well, then you, yeah, you want to really explore that and weigh the risk versus the reward or yeah. the consequence versus the reward consequences yeah right mm-hmm. yes it's fun to live in the moment but if it's keeping you from having a productive sunday to live in your values which if your values are productivity and success or work and being hungover or having a sugar hangover even is keeping you from doing that then yeah we do have to reevaluate absolutely what you're doing and how you're living in that moment so that's why everyone's journey is really interesting but going back to identifying your values can be that thing that helps you make a decision so if you really value feeling healthy and vibrant and energized and living an active lifestyle then you need to make certain eating and drink choices so that you can do that and then you will feel more fulfilled in life yeah and that's the beautiful cycle of it yeah so i want to ask you you know do you still See yourself as a perfectionist with food? Um, no. I think when you've been a perfectionist for a long time, as you know, I have, um, probably like certain thoughts are gonna come up. Yeah. Right? Like I can't necessarily erase those stories, the that that part of my history, those tendencies, but thoughts are just thoughts and I get to choose, you know, how I wanna act. Mm-hmm. So I think my actions would would say that I'm not really a perfectionist around food anymore. I relate to that. I I tell people if you've ever had an eating disorder or some form of disordered eating, I see it as like a little person in the back of your brain. You can think of it as whatever you want. Maybe it's a weed. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that little weed pops up out of the soil and it will haunt you a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, For instance, for me, if you know, I had bulimia, I had a lot of eating disorders in my teen and early, early adulthood. And those thoughts will come up sometimes where I'm like, I should count calories again. Mm-hmm. But do I want to water that weed? Do I want to water that thought? Do I want to entertain that little girl voice in my head? No. So I just ignore it and it goes away and it will come back up again. But I just continue to ignore it. The flowers that I water, the voices that I listen to are those ones that are in alignment with my values and who I want to be and how I want to live my life. So thoughts are going to come up. They don't mean much unless you water them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, feelings are part of it too. And something that, you know, I worked with you on and something I know you talk about is like the idea of 
um, nudges and like guilt versus shame. And I just want to acknowledge that um, part of this process too, because I used to experience a lot of food anxiety and guilt um, and shame is I think really what I was experiencing more so than guilt in, in retrospect, because it would be like, I ate this thing and now I feel bad. And you know, that makes me bad. And you know, I'm a bad person or I'm not a healthy person. Um, whereas now if I, um, you know, maybe go a little past like what I would consider overindulge, have a, a few of something that I normally, um, wouldn't, then maybe I feel like a little, uh, like a little, you call it a nudge. Um, and that isn't necessarily a bad thing either. You know, again, like I get to choose what I do with these thoughts and feelings. So now I kind of interpret that as, uh, maybe I'm a little off track from my values, but that's not something to feel like I'm a terrible person about. That's just reminding me like where I want to be. They're just reminders. Yeah. So it's like, let's say that you had a weekend where you just didn't meal plan for whatever reason, and you ate three or four meals in a row that just weren't nutritious. They didn't make you feel good. In the past, it sounds like you had felt shame, which is where you think worse of yourself as a person for these actions. Where guilt is you feel guilty for the actions. Mm -hmm. Neither of them are very helpful, mm -hmm. but it's so easy to label any negative thought about a food choice as guilt or shame. Mm -hmm. When there's another level, which is a reminder or a nudge that says, hey, Sam, you know, we had fun, it's cool, but remember, like, you enjoy feeling really good. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of stuff you wanna do this week. We don't wanna eat like that. It's just not going to work out for your long-term goals. You're not going to feel great. It's not in alignment with who you are as a person. Let's just carve out an hour to meal plan and get some good stuff in the house so that you're feeling good for the week ahead. And that's it. And then you do it. And then the weekend's just a little distant memory and you had fun, but it does not hold you back. Yeah. So it's reframing, you know, what you actually feel bad about if you even feel that bad about it mm -hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. So what advice would you give to somebody who's a perfectionist and relates to your struggle? Maybe she's come from a, a disordered eating past, or maybe she falls into all or nothing and kind of feels like she knows what to do, but just is really stumped. What's, what are the couple steps that you would recommend to her? Yeah. Um, well, you know, you, first of all, you just can't be hundred percent perfect. Like you have to leave room for life to happen. Um, and for room to be human because like by definition, you know, you're, when you're human, we're mortal, we're imperfect. <laughs> Can I add something to that yeah. before you continue? I, do you find, and you probably see this a lot cause you're going to more talk with people who are perfectionists about like where the perfectionism comes from, mm -hmm. where my lens is always with food. Like sure. where did the diet culture come from for you? Do you find that people who want to be perfectionists are really scared of being vulnerable or being seen for who they are? Does that ever come up? Oh, for sure. Um, I think perfectionism is also highly like correlated with people pleasing. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of focus on what other people are thinking and how they're perceiving you. Um, and so perfectionism really is just a strategy for trying to manage the anxiety, the guilt, the uncomfortable feelings and thoughts that come up when it comes to being seen, right? Yeah, you, I, th I think you just articulated it beautifully. I find that the people in my life who are very vulnerable about food 
also don't struggle with it as much. That's not always the case, but there'll be my friends who will literally joke about how much they ate or how they're, you know, they have a food baby or something like that. And when I was like in the thick of my eating disorder, I could never let anyone know anything that I did that I thought was bad. Like nobody can know that I ate a whole bag of Tostitos after not eating all day because I don't want to be seen as what I perceived as gross or imperfect or whatever it is. But there's something really nice about when you talk to someone who's really vulnerable about their body image or their food struggles, when they're really human, Mm -hmm. you could connect with them more and it helps your relationship. Like when I have friends who tell me about their food and body struggles, we connect more and it helps our relationship. But I just find that, you know, a lot of times with perfectionism, it can be really scary to tell someone or show that part of yourself to someone. Yeah, I think it kind of narrows your life a little bit. And it, you know, again, it kind of dictates this set of rules of what you must do or what you shouldn't do. And that makes your life smaller. And so I do think by opening up a little bit, you know, the flip side of that being a little more vulnerable, um, I don't know, there's a lightness to it as well, where I can kind of like laugh at myself a little bit and not take it so seriously. I value relationships. I value friendships. I I value my romantic relationship. Mm -hmm. And vulnerability makes all of those things stronger. So being really honest to those people sometimes can be hard for me, like honest about my food or how I'm feeling about my body. But the more I do it and the more kind it's accepted, the easier it gets. So for me, I just had like a little light bulb. I value relationships. Being vulnerable strengthens my relationships. And sometimes that's with food and body image. Love that. Yeah. Okay, so what uh, any other little things about your story or journey? Actually, you know what? Let me let me backtrack that. Talk about your successes. Brag about yourself a little bit. What were what are some things you've accomplished in the past year? Yeah. And where is your journey taking you when it comes to food and health? Well, I can finally say confidently I'm a healthy person. Woo! Um, I remember when you said that to me at one point and I was like, huh, you think so? Um But now I I feel that way. Um, I figured out what that means for me. Of course, that word has been used in all sorts of ways. And, you know, definitely when I struggled with orthorexia, it had a certain meaning. But now I've figured out what the meaning is for me. Will you share it? Yeah, I think it is about um, what I told you. My kind of aspiration for this year is vitality. Um, so it's just feeling really fully alive, right? Really energetic mm. and here and open to new experiences. And I'm, you know, I'm, I just signed up for a beginner ballet class, which ah, is what? That's awesome. <laughs> super. Yeah. I'm excited and a little bit nervous. Cause you've been doing bar for a long, yes. like you're a bar superstar. I see that you like hit the milestones. Yeah. So, you know, there's a line in my book that I wrote that's called, you can't live a full life on an empty stomach. Yeah. So it's like, okay, you're fueling your life here so that you can go do cool stuff, which is like the meaning of life. Exactly. So that that has been, I think, the biggest thing. Um, And finding out that I love exercise and I'm an active person, like, again, that's just kind of a, like, total surprise to me. And I wouldn't have really imagined that a year ago. But while I was taking notes um, for for this podcast and I was thinking about some things I might want to talk about, Um, I was walking and sometimes I like to walk and kind of dictate, you know, at the same time when I'm when I'm thinking about uh, a project or something I'm going to do. And I accidentally walked four miles (laughs) while I was thinking about this podcast. Um, Well, your goal was like one. Yeah. Yeah. I always shoot for just like a mile walk because it's just something that helps me feel good, like mentally. Um, But yeah, I think 
yeah, I'm literally a walking testament at this point um, <laughs> to the fact that this helps uh, or yeah, this works if you, um, I think being open to, to working with a professional and getting some support if you're really struggling is so important. Yeah. There's a little lesson in that walking testament that you just mentioned, (laughs) which is, you know, with perfectionism, sometimes we can set the bar really high. Like, okay, I'm going to start walking, which means I'm going to walk an hour, five days a week. And that could be an ultimate destination where you end up. But if we lower the bar, which is very uneasy for perfectionism, if we say, let's just do a mile twice a week or most Mm -hmm. days or five minutes, Mm -hmm. uh, then you just start to get in the habit. And then you're going to have days like today where you just get in the zone and you walk four miles. And that's great. And that also helps amplify the values and the life you want to live. But so what a mile? Yeah. But you didn't start there. No. And it it wasn't the goal. Um, But yeah, it's interesting you were saying earlier about telling like your perfectionist to like shoot for being a B student. And I think that is becoming more natural for me. So when I added in the walks, it was really because I noticed I was loving the way I felt on those days where I went to bar. Um, but it's a pretty intense full body workout, so I can't do it every day. I need like a break. Yeah. Um, but it was also help. You know, it's great for my mental health. And so the days where I wasn't doing it, I wanted something. Um, and I've always loved walking, so I was like, I'm gonna set like the goal of go walk for a mile, mm-hmm. which doesn't feel like a lot for me. And I can do it at any pace. I can bring my coffee along with me. Like so, no I, I really set the goal pretty low. Yeah. Um, well, you made it fun yeah. too, which yeah. is your value. You made it fun. You made it like a, a an experience. Yeah. You have your coffee, you have your podcast, yes. maybe you're thinking about professional ideas. It becomes almost like a meditative practice for you versus if you're looking at it from the lens of like, okay, I'm going to walk for four miles so that I burn 250 calories and mm. I have to go at this pace at, and my heart rate needs to be in this zone. Yeah. There are some people who are very, very motivated by that. And then there are other people who do that for a week and they hate it and it doesn't stick. Mm. So you have found ways to create um, exercise that has structure and then integrate things like walking that's more fun and then sometimes you go for a longer time Mm -hmm. and that's cool too yeah I think ultimately finding what works for you because it's so personal Mm -hmm. and like you asked me like you said on day one how do you want your life to look and I kind of forgot about that like some of those things I said and I'm like wow I'm, I'm doing that um because, you know, this is how I want my life to look. It might not be how everyone wants their life to look, you know. So maybe the one mile, like, walking goal wouldn't wouldn't be a fit for you. But that's the point. Like, what are you willing to put in? How do you want it to look? Because with perfectionism, I notice a lot of my clients, and you probably see this, like, we set these lofty goals and we're not thinking about, like, what it takes to get there, if it even is possible. Because maybe it is, but I'm not, you know, somebody who's um doing this for a living like I have a business I have a marriage to tend to I have a dog like I don't want to spend you know a a huge percent of my time focused only on diet and fitness it's just part of my life um so for me setting goals that fit with how much time and effort that I'm willing to put in makes more sense it's a lot of fun to map out a vision for your life and then work down from that. So you have to take into account all areas of your life. There's a chapter in my book where I talk about somebody who struggles with some perfectionism, but mostly binge eating. And the journey that we went on, because this is a real client of mine, is we had to find things in her life that matched her values, that 
added to her life that didn't involve food and dieting because she was obsessed with the gym and food and it was all she thought about. It was the only thing going on. So she would create all these little rules and systems and try to follow these little programs, but it got her nowhere. But then when we started to look at, well, what activities are going to enrich your life? It involved relationships and this person's story involved a romantic relationship and her journey, she was really interested in helping dogs and she was at a, a dog shelter. So doing these activities that made her feel really good took some of the pressure off trying to have to diet and then therefore she was able to make healthy choices and live a full enriching life and it just worked out in that way so i think you're a really shining example of that you figured out what you want your life to look like knowing that you can also change that which has been a conversation (laughs) for us recently too Mm -hmm. which is hey maybe in two years you're going to change how you want to exercise. It sounds like you're doing ballet. So now it's like, ooh, we're going to figure out like this. Like, what does this mean for you? Um, And then maybe you want more balance or less balance later in life. Like you as an autonomous person can do whatever you want and you can create your own life. And we're just going to figure out how food, exercise, and health habits fit into that. Yeah, yeah, that that is probably kind of where I'm at right now and what we talked about most recently. And another one of those kind of like mind blown moments of whatever I choose right now doesn't have to be what I choose forever. And Mm -hmm. so kind of that flexibility around it's always evolving. This is what's important to me. This is how I want it to look. Maybe there'll be a time where I am more focused on certain like health or fitness goals um, because, you know, my life can change and look differently. I have two questions for you. One is if someone were to ask you about your body image now, you know, how you feel about your body today, what would your answer be? Um, I feel at home in my body. Oh. Like it, it feels comfortable. I'm happy to be in it. I like moving it. I like taking care of it. I do like the way it looks, um, which has changed a bit as a part of this process, a fun byproduct of my discipline and my work. But um yeah, also, I think you asked me about that on a recent vacation, and I realized it's just not even something I think about as often either, in a good way, because I think I feel more comfortable. And it used to take up a lot of real estate in my mind, feeling self-conscious, right, when I was in social situations or things like that. And now I'm able to um, experiment with clothes again and have fun expressing myself in that way, because I've always been kind of into style and fashion. Um, and so I can enjoy it, but it's not something I'm like worrying about. Right. It's fun. Yeah. If somebody's listening to this and they want to work with you, right? They're like, okay, I need a therapist to really help me overcome my perfectionism, figure out the root of it, help support me. Where do they find you? What's the best way they can contact you? Yeah, um, definitely my website, um, which is drsamantharay.com. Um, you can request a free consultation. I offer a 15 minute virtual um, meeting where we can talk about what it is that you're looking for, figure out if we're a good fit to work together. Um, If for some reason I'm not the person to help you, I'll also try and help get you connected um, with somebody else. But um, that is how you can reach out and get in touch with me. Your website is beautiful, by the way. I love it so much. So I will make sure that I link your website. Uh, That way, if anyone has questions, they can just click it and all your contact information's there. Yeah. I know you as Sam, but you're Dr. Samantha Ray. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Any last little things you wanted to let people know or say? Oh, just that um, if I could make these changes like one year ago, I really thought like body image is just my struggle, right? Mm -hmm. Like everyone has a struggle. This just must be my lifelong struggle. 
and now I don't feel that weight. So if I can make those changes after um, years of struggling with this, I think anybody can. And um, you deserve, no matter how severe or you know how much you perceive it to be minor, your struggle is to have help and support along the way. So if you can afford it and it's an option for you, I highly recommend working with a professional like Kate. Uh, Kate was so helpful. Oh, well, you're awesome. It's been so fun. I can't wait to continue witnessing your transformation, your journey. Listeners, thank you for also taking a peek into Sam's journey. And I hope you learned something. Hope you got some value. Again, check out our website. Reach out. Doesn't hurt to have a 15-minute consultation. Therapy changed my life. Again, I found myself in cycles. Mm -hmm. And working with a therapist got me out of the cycle. And I can confidently say that cycle doesn't show up in my life anymore. And I'd be happy to talk about that sometime. But uh, guys, we will catch you on the next episode. Thank you so much for being here. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Nutrition Awareness Podcast. And if you did find it helpful and want to share it with the whole world, screenshot this episode and tag us on Instagram in your stories at nutrition.awareness so we can connect with you. To get notified about the next episode of Nutrition Awareness, be sure to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And to create your own personalized nutrition plan with us, be sure to schedule your virtual or in-person consultation on our website, www.orlandodietitian.com. Now get out there, fuel up, and live your healthiest life. We'll see you on the next episode.